Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today I'll be taking you through the tricky task of first sentences. This podcast covers craft elements, personal anecdotes, and writing exercises. Please feel free to pause at any time, rewind, or otherwise engage with this lesson in a way that makes the most sense for you. Writing is not a one-size-fits-all art, so I hope you'll be able to shape this talk to meet your own writing needs. We all know the feeling. You're in the bookstore, browsing through the thousand and one titles on the shelves, when a cover catches your eye. You look at it, turn it over, read the pitch on the back, and, satisfied, crack open the first page. And bam, a terrible first sentence. Maybe the first three after that are awful too. So awful, in fact, you close the book and put it back. How do you make sure this doesn't happen to your writing? First sentences are tricky. They're the first introduction a reader has to the tone, character, and overall vibe of the story. In longer form fiction, like novels, you might be able to get away with a terrible first sentence. You can pick up running with the rest of the first paragraph, or the first 50 pages if you're some of the books I've read. But do you want to be the kind of storyteller that has people going, oh, just get to page 100, it really picks up after that? Or do you want to grab your reader from the first and keep them in your hand the whole way through your piece? You'll have a much easier time getting your work in front of agents if you're not dragging them to page 20 before you hit a good line of prose. The first rule of opening sentences is that they should never be the first thing you write. Ironic, I know, but it's true. A lesson I had a hard time learning is that you don't know what the tone of your piece is going to be until you're at least on your second draft. What this means is that if you're not done with your first draft yet, don't sweat it. You don't need to be thinking about a killer first sentence at that point. Instead, what you can do is keep an eye out for sentences that really glimmer. Maybe you like their structure, or maybe you like something they reveal about your character. If you want, you can do something I often do which is keep a separate document with a running record of sentences I think stand out above the others. Then, when you finish a draft, you can go back to all the sentences you really liked and see if there are any patterns there. Do you use a positive phrases in a way that is sarcastic and shows the tone of your character? Great, maybe you can use one in your opening sentence to show readers about your character's personality. Maybe you nail descriptions every time you write them. Awesome! Start with a stunning description that will knock the socks off any reader who dares set eyes on your text. Okay, so you're done with multiple drafts and you're ready to start fine-tuning. Let's talk about what a good first sentence should be doing. You'll often hear that a first sentence needs to be attention-grabbing. Great, that's pretty much useless advice unless you figure out exactly whose attention you're supposed to grab. For example, if your story is a revisionist tale about Hades and Persephone, it probably isn't helpful to you to start your story with high-octane, violent action. Neither those characters nor the story at large revolve around such physical scenes, so starting with one sends the wrong message to your audience. Unless, of course, you're working on a thriller, super spy version of the story, in which case that's amazing and I need to read it as soon as you're done with it. The point is... What be attention-grabbing usually means is that you want to start your story on a problem. It doesn't need to be a big problem. The world does not have to be ending in your opening line for it to be a good opening line, but you want to give your reader something to consider. If you have a sarcastic narrator, a dry comment about the state of events might be a good way for you to go. If you have a novel concerned with big thematic ideas, perhaps something philosophical and lyrical, 
You can choose what's right for you and your story, but only once you have a true sense of what your work is about, and that doesn't come till you've hit your ending at least once, if not more, can you nail the tone of your opening. Here's an exercise that might help you figure this out. Take a look at the story you're trying to find an opening sentence for. Ask yourself, if my reader only got one piece of information about the whole piece, what would I want it to be? Try to think larger than the piece itself. You're not looking for the big reveal or the twist at the end of your story. You're more looking for what you're trying to say with your piece. Do you want your readers to be cautious about relationships? Or to give readers a sense of summer nights on the Mississippi River where you grew up? Whatever it is you're trying to get at with this piece, write it down in a single sentence. I'll give you an example of a work in progress I have going on right now. I'm working on a story about the beauty and immersiveness of children's imaginations. But that's a garbage first sentence. Could you imagine? Okay, let's rework this. What's something I could say that hints at the theme but doesn't outright say it? Something that might work a lot better would be, Joey's mother had told him many times the voices weren't real, but that didn't stop them from speaking. Interesting, right? You want to know more. This is what you want to do with your opening line. Give us intrigue, appeal, and at the same time, give us an idea of where we are and what we might be reading. Okay, so you know what kind of opening sentence you want. Now you're wondering exactly how you convey that. Great, this is where mechanics comes in, and in my opinion, it's the fun part. While there is no shortage of ways to start a piece of prose, I'll give you some broad categories, each of which will break down into its parts, what it's capable of on the page, and the downfalls of the method. Let's start with dialogue. It's kind of the old faithful of opening lines. Give one character a snarky quip, have somebody else reply, and you're off. There's a lot a dialogue opening can do for you. First, you get an immediate sense of who a character is. Much of the way we understand people is through what they say. We can't read minds, so conversation is a fast and easy window to the soul. Characters work much the same way. What characters say tells us a lot about them. Is this a person who is willing to say things like they are, without the platitudes we use to shield one another's feelings? Is this a character so insecure they end everything with a question? Or is this a confrontational character, quick to anger and quicker to sling insults to protect themselves from the world around them? Pick a character you're working with. Picture what kind of a person they are. Happy, hurt, snarky, polite, etc. Now think of your opening scene. If this character is in your opening scene, what's something they could say to drop us into that moment? If they are not in your opening scene, is there something someone could say to bring them into the picture? For example, if you have a story like I have about college-age adults, one of whom is sleeping with her roommate's boyfriend, you might start this way. We shouldn't be doing this when Corinne is around, Bailey whispered. There's a lot to unpack here. These characters are talking about a character who isn't present, point of contention number one. They're also in a situation where they feel the need to whisper, which means that person or someone who may report back to them is near, point of contention number two. The use of the word we makes the sentence conspiratorial and brings the reader into the illicit behavior. Point of contention number three. Three different tensions, all with a single line of dialogue. This is what a good opening line does. Now, dialogue does have some possible downsides. Often, writers feel the need to explain too much when they have their characters talk. 
Remember that humans hardly ever say exactly what they're thinking. Not even children really do that. I work with kids aged second through fourth grade, and let me tell you, if they think there's something in it for them, that story starts changing very quickly. So have your characters hold something back. Let's look at that opening line again. We shouldn't be doing this when Corinne is around, Bailey whispered. Imagine if that line read like this. We shouldn't be doing this when Corinne is around. She could catch us and that would be awful, Bailey whispered. What just happened? Why is that so much clunkier? It's because I wasted your time. I told you something you already knew. The first part of the sentence already tells the reader that Bailey and whoever she's with doesn't want to be caught. I don't need to flat out say it. Who would do that anyway? The unrealisticness of it, coupled with the fact that's not how people talk, detracts from what was a pretty good line, turning it mediocre at best. Another method for starting a story is with action. This is a popular one if you're writing a more in-the-moment genre. Thriller, mystery, fantasy, sci-fi, or something similar. Any genre where you have a higher energy level than, say, literary fiction would benefit from an action opening. That's not to say litfic can't have amazing action openings. Anytime you're subverting expectations, varying the outcome, or pushing rules, it's worth trying. So an action opening is one where something is happening. An asteroid could be falling from the sky, a woman could be receiving a kiss from the girl of her dreams, a man could be missing his train. It doesn't matter what the action is. If a character is doing something, that's an action opening. This type of start doesn't give us quite as much insight into the character as dialogue does, but it does let us see the character. And sometimes that's what the story needs. So think of that story you're working on again. Think of your opening scene. Feel the energy of it. See it in your mind's eye. Now, I want you to find a small detail, something you would only see if you were really looking at it, like you were doing one of those hidden object puzzles. Something the average passerby wouldn't even think twice about, but that might have big consequences later. Let's go back to the man about to miss his train. Think of the moment, an above-ground platform, the wind swirling papers and leaves and the ends of scarves with it. A man hurrying up the steps, holding his hat to his head and a briefcase. Now think of what a first sentence on this scene might look like. The gum on the bottom of Henry's left shoe exacerbated his uneven stride. All right, interesting. Let's find our points of contention here. Point one, gum on the bottom of a shoe. Who likes that? No one. It's annoying and it gives the reader that immediate, slightly grossed out, but also angry, but not quite angry feeling that helps them understand this character's situation. Side note, it also tells us more than you might think about where and when the story takes place. Where do you find gum? Probably not in the middle of a forest. So the reader imagines the places they've had gum stuck to the bottom of their own shoes. Probably in the city, which is where the story takes place. One word, gum, and you've put your reader in an urban environment. Gum also tells us something about time. Chewing gum did not gain popularity worldwide until after World War II because it was supplied to soldiers in their rations. So this tells us the story most likely takes place sometime post-1950s, though we will need another sentence or two to figure out exactly when. Okay, back to the lesson. Point of contention number two. Henry has an uneven stride. 
Anyone with a limp, permanent or otherwise, can tell you that it can become difficult to move around efficiently if the limp is severe enough, or if pain begins to flare up. This gait is most likely causing this character some distress, and it's getting worse because of the gum. So, just like with dialogue, a problem helps us start the story with some intrigue. Again, it does not have to be a huge problem, and you most likely don't want it to be the main problem unless you're working in very short fiction, like a short story. But starting with a problem helps readers become engaged immediately because they will most likely root for the character to solve it, the same way they would want the problem solved if they were in that character's shoes. Are there possible downsides of action? Of course! Writing is a delicate art, and even the best techniques could become heavy-handed if not used correctly. The place I most see action misused is by getting too wordy with it. Remember that any given person can only do so many things at once. A sentence that reads, Henry sighed, clutching onto the handrail and peering down the tracks for his train, might make sense. Those are all actions Henry can do simultaneously. However, if you start to pack too many actions into a tight space, you'll confuse your reader. Imagine if that opening sentence I gave you reads like this. The gum stuck fast to Henry's shoe, exacerbating his uneven stride and making him clutch the handrail so he didn't topple down the stairs. Whoa, right? We took a simple, clean line of action and turned it into something unwieldy. Way too many things are happening here. The reader has a hard time imagining all those things simultaneously because they aren't happening at the same time even though I've written them that way. Remember that action sentences should be short, sweet, and to the point. That by no stretch means you must have boring sentences either, but with action, it's alright to err on the shorter side. Another note about action sentences. Be careful not to indulge in gratuitous, bloody, or otherwise inappropriate depictions. Even if you're working in a genre that is naturally violent or contains explicit content, you don't want to smack your readers over the head with your grossest depictions. Remember what we said about dialogue. Do not waste your readers' time. If you spend too much page space describing in every detail the carnage of a bomb going off in a public space, your readers might become numb after about two paragraphs. They might even skim forward looking for the through line of the story. They want to catch the guy, or they want to know why he did it, or they want to know if the people survive. Remember, they're reading because they want a story. If they want to be depressed at the human capacity for violence, all they have to do is turn on the news. The third umbrella for opening lines is profound revelation. In my opinion, this works best when used one of two ways, nostalgic memory or false reveal. Profound revelation essentially means we're going to open the story with a character thinking to themselves. We don't want this thinking to be idle. Why would we open our story on an idle thought unless it's a seemingly idle thought that will have consequences later? Remember what I said about not wasting your reader's time. Okay, take your character, the one you're opening your scene with. Imagine them in the moment, wherever that might be in your story. What could they be thinking? When we're by ourselves, what private thoughts do we allow when we know no one will hear us? When you've got a sense of your character's thoughts, direct them one of two ways. The first is asking, what is something this character wishes they hadn't lost or given up or moved on from? For example, if you have a character on the run from someone or somewhere, what's one thing they miss about where they came from? 
even if they escaped an awful place, there will be at least one thing that brought them some comfort. Humans find relief in the familiar. Maybe your character could miss the smells of warm food cooking or the feel of a scratchy blanket that they slept with at night. Do they wish they'd said goodbye to someone one last time? Let's go back to that piece about Bailey and Corinne. Instead of opening with dialogue, I could do something like this. Bailey hadn't heard Corinne laugh in almost two months. See the way this reminiscing brings up the problem almost immediately? We start to wonder why Bailey hasn't heard this sound. Maybe Corinne has passed away. Maybe they aren't speaking at the moment. If we get to the next few sentences, we'll find out it's because Bailey has been distancing herself from her former best friend, terrified that Corinne will discover Bailey's infidelity. This type of opening allows you as a writer to introduce little bits of backstory into the work without overwhelming the reader with exposition. The key here is to use the backstory toward those points of contention. Make sure there's something at stake for the character. You don't want to have your characters waxing poetic about something they don't actually care about. We've all lost things in our lives. Pick something important to your character that also ties into the central conflict of your story. The second type of profound revelation works best as a false reveal. Give your character some big moment of understanding that turns out to be completely false later. Put them on top of the world, only for them to have to come to terms with their own misunderstanding at some other point in the story. If we look at Bailey and Corinne again, it might sound something like this. Though her mother might tell her differently, Bailey knew she hadn't done anything wrong. Okay, we're getting interesting here. So let's again find our points of contention. Number one, Bailey knows her mother would not agree with her actions. While we don't know enough about either character yet to determine who's right, anytime there is conflict, there is tension. And in an opening line, tension is a good thing. Point of contention number two, Bailey is taking a stance on her actions we as readers will expect her to re-examine later. People who say they haven't done anything wrong are often blinding themselves to the reality of the situation, intentionally or otherwise. We expect this is the case with Bailey, and that makes this opening line interesting. A character who lies to themselves is even more fun to watch crumble than a character who lies to others. So think of your opening and your characters. What is a belief your character has that they will change by the end of your story? Try to put that into words, thinking of your points of contention as you do. Is there another character who might disagree with them? Are they running from a truth too painful to face? You can decide the exact nature of your wording, but holding these things in mind will help your first sentence land right out of the gate. Here's a note of caution when you're working with profound revelation. You may feel the need to explain your revelations to the audience or maybe even to yourself. Don't. Trust that the audience will get it or trust that they'll enjoy the feeling of being appropriately confused. If you find yourself expositing more than three sentences in a row on your opening page, go back. Figure out where you stopped trusting your reader and maybe where you stopped trusting yourself. Cut everything from that line forward until you get to the end of your explanation. Remember that there is a time and a place for giving the reader information, but the opening of your story is not it. They're not here to read an essay. If they wanted to do that, they'd be looking somewhere else. You got this. Trust yourself to hook your reader 
and keep them hooked all the way to the end of your story. The fourth and final umbrella for openings we will discuss today is juxtaposition. An opening that contradicts itself for one reason or another is an opening that holds tension right out of the gate. Perhaps your character is in an argument with themselves. Perhaps you are highlighting the dual nature of some part of the society your character lives in. Whatever the reason, this type of opening will allow you to draw your reader in as they try to make sense of the comparison you give them. There are many different ways to juxtapose something. Pick a value that is central to your story. This could be time, honesty, money, place, an emotion, something like that. Think of the two extremes of that value. For example, if you chose money, it might be rich on one side, poor on the other. If you chose happiness, it might be happy on one side, sad on the other. Now, see if you can get both extremes into the same sentence. For my example, we'll go back to the story of Joey and his imagination. For this story, an important value is the split between reality and fantasy. So if I want to make an opening based on juxtaposition, I would see if I can place these two things in the same sentence. It might look something like this. No one appreciated Joey's imaginary friends. This opening has a note of humor in it, as many juxtaposing openings will. How can anyone appreciate something only Joey can see? How do they avoid sitting where his imaginary friends are sitting? Or how do they speak to someone they can't hear? It's an impossible situation, and that brings a level of humor to the story. You can also use juxtaposition to intense emotional impact. I think it's Ernest Hemingway who has this amazing line. The smallest coffins are the heaviest. The juxtaposition here is that small things are usually lighter than large things, so we are not expecting the smallest coffins to be the heaviest. However, on closer inspection, we realize the weight is not literal, but emotional. And in that case, yes, the smallest coffins are indeed the heaviest. A brilliant line, if there ever was one. The place where juxtaposition may fall apart is trying to force a comparison that doesn't make sense. Don't reach too hard for this one. You don't want your opening to channel poetry from that one edgy kid in your middle school writing class energy. It's better to have a natural opening that suits your style and diction than one you think will make you sound cool. If you can't come up with a comparison, that's okay. See if you can choose a different value and then redo the exercise with that new value. As you can imagine, there are more ways to start a story out there, but this is a good beginning to today's lesson. Be gentle with yourself and remember that it may take a few tries to find an opening you really like. Here are some last pointers, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Number one, don't try to nail your first sentence right out of the gate. You should be on draft two or three before you start thinking about your first sentence. Number two, shock for shock's sake doesn't fool anyone. Don't rely on cheap gimmicks to try to grab your reader's attention. Number three, avoid exposition as much as possible. A good rule I like to use is to not start explaining anything until at least page two. Number four, opening sentences should err on the short side. In today's digital age, you have between 5 and 15 seconds to get and keep a reader's attention. Don't waste that time on words you don't need. I hope this talk was helpful to you, and remember, you're always welcome to go back, give it another listen, pause, rewind, and otherwise engage with it in the way that makes the most sense for you and your work at the moment.
If you have any questions, ideas for topics, or you want to give us a funny anecdote, send us an email at rightturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3, the number three, T-U-R-N at gmail.com. Or you can click the link in the description of this episode. I'm hoping that by our later podcast episodes, we can look at some of the stories you guys have written. If you have a piece that you're working on and you would like me to go through it, giving constructive feedback and pointing out all the amazing ways you guys put words on paper, send a piece of writing no more than 1,500 words to rightturn at gmail.com or click the link in the description. I hope you all have a lovely day, and if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you all next time. Thank you.